Thanks for joining us for the Relate Podcast, where we talk about how your past is present. Today, we're going to talk about why your story matters. I'm Casey Sunstead, and I'm your host. I geek out about all things relationship and emotional health, and we're so glad you're joining us today. Welcome to the Relate Podcast, where we explore how your past is present. Last week, we talked about why your story matters, and we learned four common responses we use to resist exploring our families of origin. And today, we're going to take a look at how exactly our past affects our present relationships, how to spot symptoms that our past is indeed showing up. I'm Casey Sunstead, and I'm your host. Joining us today, my friend September Vaudry. And also, we have Tyler Huff with us. Hi. Hello. So in the week one discussion questions, we asked our people to consider and share with somebody around them who the players are in their family of origin. So I thought it was only fair if we start out this week kind of sharing about where we come from. Hmm. So Tyler, can you tell us about the players in your family? Oh, man, there's a lot. But yes, I, I can do that. So I'm uh, the middle child, and everybody's like red flags are going up. <laughs> oh, no, we got a middle child. That I explains a lot. Um, I've, I'm the middle of three boys, and uh, but grew up in a Christian home, going back to both sets of grandparents. So really well-grounded, good family of faith. But there, that doesn't mean that we're perfect by any means. And so um, just lots of stuff to reckon with, with faith and upbringing and standard parental roles versus non-traditional parental roles, which started even back with my grandparents. Like, you know, my mom's side, my grandma was definitely not the typical 50s housewife at all. And so in a lot of ways, my mom took on that role for her younger siblings. She was the oldest of six. And so by the time she came to parent us, it was like, all right, let's do this all over again. I got this. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of where I come from. And now, um, I mean, I'm married and I have a two and a half year old and a four year old. And every day is just figuring it out as, as we as we take it, right? It's a hustle and a bustle in our house. So Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. September, how about you? Tell us about the family that you come from. Who are the players? What are they like? I am the oldest of two. My I have a younger brother and he is two years younger than me. We grew up in the country. I had in many ways a very idyllic childhood. I, I lived on a farm. What made my dynamic in my home a little bit unique, um, I had two parents that you know are married. They're still married today. I have a great relationship with them. I have a great relationship with my brother. The, di- the interesting dynamic that in hindsight now I'm able to see some ways that it really impacted how I relate to others um, is that my brother um, has some special needs. So he has a, an, uh, an intellectual disability and he has a physical disability. And for me as a kid who's two years older, who adored my brother and whose, you know, very legitimate needs required a lot of focus from my parents. Mm-hmm. I think I struggled somewhat to know where I fit and what about my needs were also special, so to mm. speak, you know? So yeah, I, I've done a fair amount of work on that and my I'm grateful for the good and honest conversations I've been able to have with my parents in my adult years, as well as, you know, growing up and, I adore my brother, and we have a good relationship today. He lives in a group home in Seattle. And, um, yeah, he's wonderful. And that dynamic absolutely affected, uh, it helped form who I am today, for sure. Casey, what about you? You don't get it off the hook yeah. just because you're hosting this thing. So, Tyler, um, representing along with you, 
I am the middle kid. Yes. I know. <laughs> Shout out to you middle children out there. I <laughs> We're <have> all an- <laughs> ruined. It's fine. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And one thing you need to know about my family is my parents got divorced when I was in about third or fourth grade. My dad got remarried um, shortly thereafter. And so we became a blended family as well. And surprisingly, guess what? Casey's still smack dab in the middle as the middle. <laughs> I have an older stepsister and a younger stepsister. So when I think about um, my family of origin, two things really pop out that are helpful for you to know. One is sarcasm is like the language that we I speak don't even know what that is, in my house. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that as I share. And then also just we celebrate the crap out of every tiny little thing. So lots of celebrating in my family, lots of making a big deal out of the tiniest little victories in life. Okay, September, can you tell us some things to look for when our past is showing up? You know, how often have you caught yourself saying something like, oh my gosh, I just sounded just like my mom, or oh my gosh, my dad did that all the time, and you're shocked that you're repeating it because maybe it was something that you didn't want to, you know, mimic in them. Maybe it's something that you didn't want to emulate that they did that you didn't like when you were little. Or maybe it's something you admired and you're glad. But either Mm -hmm. way, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm becoming my mom or I'm becoming my dad. Yeah. Um, So, you know, whether it's a trait that we admire or it's one we want to avoid, it does happen. I think it's a great example of when our past shows up in our present. And we can ask ourselves, how is what happened in the past influencing what's happening in my life today? How am I acting the same? How am I relating to others similarly? to how I was raised, right? The home I grew up in. So it's Um, like you're asking us to just kind of start by being aware. Yeah, just be aware of it. You know, like on the positive side, maybe your parents were super good at resolving conflict. You know, maybe your dad was really great at uh, like investing in his friendships, his buddies. You know, he was there for them during tough times or whatever. He was a good friend, you know. Or -hmm. maybe you had a single mom. You know, Casey, when your parents got divorced, for example, you know, maybe there was a season where you saw your mom working really hard to help provide for your family, but she still never missed your games. You know, today you can see those same character traits in your own life. Maybe you're a person who resolves conflict well. You know, you're reliable. You're a faithful friend. You balance work and home priorities. It's not a coincidence. It didn't come from no where, you know, you saw those traits in your home growing up and they stuck. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, and the converse can be true as well. You know, we, even in the best of families, our parents and our, those environments passed down some negative traits to us. I know I certainly have done that with my own kids. There's traits <laughs> I wish that they didn't inherit from me that they did, you know, but maybe your parents, you know, put a little too much emphasis on you know, perfectionism or something. And today you struggle with performance or micromanaging, or you can be a little controlling. Um, You know, maybe your dad was a people pleaser and you struggle with people pleasing as well, you know, or maybe you suck up to your kids sometimes if you're a parent and you can see how that's sort of how your dad treated you, for example. Yeah. You know, or, you know, maybe you have parents that shielded you from the natural consequences of your own irresponsible behavior when you were a teen. And then today you find you're still struggling to make responsible choices because you sort of subconsciously expect somebody will clean up after you, you know, you you expect that maybe somebody mm-hmm. else will take care of it like your parents did when you were growing up, mm-hmm. whether you realize it or not, whether, yeah, it could be totally subconscious, but you're still operating out of that same pattern. So, you know, whether it's a a positive or a negative trait, we can think of countless examples, you know, of traits that we picked up from our families of origin. And the key isn't really to blame here. You know, like we talked about last week, you know, 
we, we look back to learn, not to blame, mm-hmm. but, to, but just to ask ourselves, why? Why might I be behaving this way? Where does it come from? You know, just get curious. Yeah, it sounds like you're inviting us to pay attention while we're going throughout our day, while we're experiencing our present, to kind of keep one eye open for how the past is showing up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so as we're doing that, as we're starting to pay attention, can you give us an idea of what to look for? Like, are there symptoms that might kind of be something we can keep an eye open for Mm. as we're paying attention? Yeah. Boy, symptoms. That's a great choice of words. So when you think about it, like when you go to the doctor, you know, that doctor, you know, she might be looking for physical symptoms to figure out what's causing like a health problem that you have. And when we look at our behavioral symptoms, it might help us identify where our past might be causing problems in our relationship. That's a great word, symptoms. I love that. As if family of origin is a disease. Yeah. With (laughs) symptoms. Which, by the way, we have all caught. (laughs) So when, you, when we think about symptoms, there's three things that come to mind. The first is triggers, things that trigger us. The second is patterns. The third would be unmet needs in our lives. And I mean, those are just things to be aware of, to keep an eye on. When you have a symptom, if you're getting sick, you keep an eye on those symptoms. Same thing here in relationships. Yeah. So the first one would be this, triggers. Triggers meaning like, you know, what really gets us worked up? How do we react strongly to something? So Mm. maybe it's, you know, it's like we might have the right trajectory. We're being bugged by something that makes sense or we were hurt by something that seems legitimate, but our intensity is off. So right trajectory, wrong intensity. In other words, the fact that someone did something that bothered us makes sense, but the intensity of our reaction is just off. You know, maybe we overreact, we blow up, we get really angry, or we get sad or afraid, and our response is just way bigger than maybe that situation warrants. And why would that be? Why would we have a bigger reaction? Well, I'm guessing it's because there's maybe this is not the first time something similar has happened. Mm. Maybe that's something that has happened to you in your earlier years. And it's stuck. Yeah. And so it feels, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. You know, it's like reopening a little tiny wound. And so we overreact, or sometimes depending on our wiring, we we might underreact. You know, when someone does something that triggers us, instead of getting angry, we get small. You know, we freeze. We we don't advocate for ourselves. Maybe we tell ourselves, oh, it's no big deal. She didn't mean it. He won't do it again. You know, they said they're sorry. We minimize, right? We just downplay it. And maybe that also is something that a, a behavior or a reaction that we learned early in our lives and we're still doing it today and it's not quite so helpful today as it might have been when we were kids. We're letting people off the hook. Yeah, in a, in a way that maybe isn't so healthy or helpful. Yeah. So, you know, don't beat ourselves up, but pay attention. You know, maybe just go, hmm, interesting. You know, what is with that? Why did I react that way? Maybe is there a time in my past where I learned that this was the best reaction? Just note to self, you know, yeah. absolutely. No, no judgment in it. Just, we all have these little things. It's just a matter of spotting them, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one symptom, you know, to watch how you get triggered. Another symptom might be looking for a pattern, you know, look for patterns in how we handle conflict, you know, or maybe the types of relationships that we're drawn into, you know, what are the kind of people that, that we're drawn to, or maybe <laughs> how our relationships tend to end. You know, I remember uh, a teenager that I knew years back had a pattern of, she was, I think, a friend of one of my kids, and she had a pattern of her relationships ending poorly and in the exact same way over and over again. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't my kid, so I didn't, she didn't come to me for advice, but just by observation, I was like, huh, there's a story there. And I can see that in my own life when when I have a, a relationship that isn't maybe ending well 
how does that mirror maybe an experience I had when I was younger? So, you know, maybe if you had parents who modeled conflict poorly, or maybe they didn't model it at all, you likely entered adulthood with fuel tools, you know, for handling conflict. You know, maybe if you notice um, a pattern in the types of things that irk you, you know, it's always when someone is being a bully that always just gets at me way bigger than it does other people. Or it's when someone is irresponsible, can't stand it. Or when they're late, I can't stand it. You know, what kinds of things irk you? And is there a tie there maybe to an earlier experience you might have had? You yeah, know, it sounds like we might not even be carrying these things around super aware of them. Mm-hmm. But you're saying if you start to get irked about the same thing, Over and over, ask yourself why. Yeah, pay attention. Take note. Yeah. Right? That's so good. You know, yeah, just remember also, even in a situation when when you've noticed, yeah, I've got some patterns here, a pattern is not permanent. You know, Mm. we're not condemned to repeat the same things over and over. We can make changes, but just pay attention so that we can heal and break free from those patterns and we don't pass them on. That's amazing. I think it's helpful. It's a but helpful construct. You give us hope because I think yeah. sometimes we, we say to ourselves, like, that's just what I do or right. that's what my family does. But right. to say, you can break a pattern. Absolutely. It takes a conscious, like, self-awareness, too. For right. me, I'm like, half the time when I'm repeating the exact same issue, I don't know that I'm actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. The self-awareness is the, that's the big liberator, I think. Yeah. And that's one of the cool things about this conversation is we're not expecting to fix everything. But I, I, I hear you just saying, inviting us to start paying attention to it. So we have symptoms, we have triggers. And then there's a third symptom that jumps to mind, and that is unmet needs, right? So mm-hmm. if you're aware of needs that you had as a child that perhaps went unmet, look for how those unmet needs might show up in your relationships today. Like there's still unmet needs? They're yeah. showing up as unmet? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, every kid needs stuff like, you know, security, stability, structure, emotional safety, you know, unconditional love. Um, we need life skills. We yeah. need to learn. Um, bu- we need to have resilience built into us. Um, we need positive role models. You know, all of those just basic needs that a kid has. Mm-hmm. N- you know, no parent successfully provides every need that a child has. I absolutely did not provide all my children's needs. We do you're, the best we can. But you're actually kind of stressing me out thinking about my own kids right now. Like, yeah. am I meeting every <laughs> single one of their met needs? I, I apologize. But I mean, let's just give ourselves some grace. We yeah, all will yeah. hopefully do the best that we can. But every kid exits childhood with needs that didn't get fully met. So of what course. are those needs? You know, And then where might we be inadvertently expecting other people to fill those decade-old unmet mm. needs in ways that aren't mm-hmm. really helpful or appropriate? You mean that's not their job? Evidently, it's not. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. I've been doing this all wrong. <laughs> Tyler. Let's be real. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's some needs, of course, in a trusted relationship, and perhaps with a you know a trusted spouse or a dear friend, we do get some of those needs met in super healthy ways. But there's oftentimes where there's glaring needs that are still aching at us that are, you know, it's not appropriate um, for us to be demanding them and putting expectations on others. And there's some needs that really, in the end, we have to kind of resolve with God. There are only some needs that God can meet, our, our sense of our ultimate value. You know, we are valuable because... We were created in his image. And, you know, those are needs that another person cannot thrust down our throat. We have to resolve those for ourselves. The fact that you said demand, I think, is a really key thing for us to consider. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have a need and to expect someone in your actual relationships today to meet that need. But it's when it's showing up, like you said, maybe heightened and we're showing up as demanding that need to get met where we need to be careful. Careful. Yeah, Yeah. Or just aware. But, you know, so we can spot our ways that our past is present in relationships by looking for those three 
key symptoms? You know, triggers, are there patterns, are there unmet needs that are creeping into our relationships? But remember, we're not, you know, we're only looking back to learn. We're not looking back to blame. We're not trying to blame ourselves. We're not trying to blame anybody else, but just be (laughs) kind and courageous to ourselves, right? You know, give ourselves grace, Mm -hmm. plenty of kindness, and then encourage yourself to be a little courageous to do some exploring and go after this stuff. No matter how ideal or how difficult our early years might have been, there's a passage from um, the prophet Isaiah, the Hebrew prophet Isaiah, where he's talking from the viewpoint of God. And it's just a short little passage, but it gives me such comfort and hope. And I would love to just read that to you. And he says this, and again, he's speaking from the viewpoint of God to his people. Mm. He says, for I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. And I love that image because it reminds me as um, as a parent when my kids were little, grabbing their right hand and getting them through the parking lot without, you know, getting in trouble or just that kind of a comforting guidance. And I feel like he invites that same part of him into this exploring work that we're doing. We can cut ourselves slack. We can give ourselves grace. We can be kind to ourselves because he's got us. He's got us by the right hand. September, thank you so much. That was <laughs> Again, filled with so much goodness and so many things for us to consider and unpack. So we want to just do that right now and jump in and spend some time with all that you just shared with us. Tyler, let's start kind of at the beginning. She talked about the word triggered. For me, I think I'm more of an overreactor. Mm -hmm. Then she shared you could sometimes overreact or underreact. I think when my past is showing up, I tend to like respond big. Yeah. What about you? I mean, I would say that's definitely me as well. Like there, I mean, there are multiple um, examples in my life that I could bring up in points where, and and for some reason, the ones that stick out probably because the most injustice is done to the people who are closest to you, right? When you overreact. Right. So for me, the ones that stick out in my mind are ones where I'm like, man, my family did not deserve this. I was just triggered because Mm -hmm. of the way, you know, something that I learn to be a value over time or even process. Like even if you process through an issue for some reason, you can still be triggered when that comes back up. Cause you're like, I processed this and it means so much to me because I spent time thinking about it and now it's happening again. And I, it's almost like you are outside of yourself watching yourself do this. Right. And yeah. again, that's the, that's the time where I might start getting harder on myself than I would be on somebody yeah. else. Like, why am totally. I acting this way again? Well, and yeah. it's like, it's hard to say sorry for those moments too. Cause you're like, mm. you know, these feelings are real for me at least. And even if you don't feel them, like they mean a lot to me. And so you do things that you regret in that moment. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot of actually hard science to support what you're saying when, even if you've, after you've processed stuff, it's very challenging to not respond out of those limbic places yeah. where we've been responding for years. So yeah, it does take some some effort and some some grace and kindness for yourself, Tyler. For sure. Well, and like <laughs> your context, really, the more background you have, the more things are going to trigger you. So yeah. I mean, even recently, there's stuff that I haven't processed over the last six months that I'm like, yeah, I should probably sit down with somebody and actually process through this yeah. in a healthy way because I know I'm triggered all yeah. over the place. So When I get triggered, I tend to get small. But then I stuff and stuff and stuff until then I get big. So it's super, mm. I'm a little on the people pleasing side of the spectrum. And so sometimes I struggle to find my voice. Yeah. And my husband will 
readily tell you that I have no trouble finding my voice once, you know, the last straw that broke the camel's back, whatever. And then I, you know, like will vomit all of this ugliness when if I had just been a little bit more healthy and mature in giving voice to small things, I wouldn't have let it become a huge explosion and, you know, causing damage to relationships I care about. Yeah. I think for me, I, I do internalize a good bit of this stuff. And I think we all do. I think we all have conversations in our head and be like, well, I feel like this. And I know that person's going to react this way. So you start to like almost wind yourself up, right? Until you get to that point where somebody real comes up and says something and then you explode. Because yeah. you're just like, you do not understand the conversation that I've painted in my head of what's <laughs> happening. So It makes me wonder when we know we're getting triggered, what's a good way for us to acknowledge that and be kind to ourselves? It makes me think about the word mindfulness, so many people are talking about mindfulness these days and to just be aware and to like let yourself breathe a little bit in that moment. I think too, like that's, there's a big push on the Enneagram, especially in Christian circles right now. And for me, I have a lot of critiques of the Enneagram, but what it does do for me is give me language to help frame my own context. And that that's more helpful than anything else about it is just to set yourself within some language that you identify with and empathize with. And that I don't know, that's what helps me. Yeah, and I think that family of origin, when we look back not to blame, but to learn, I think that does that same exact thing. It gives us context. It gives us language. It gives us understanding for why we're acting the way we're acting. Okay, so September also shared about patterns, maybe recognizing some patterns like I always do this or I've noticed that I tend to do this. <laughs> One of the things that I've noticed, I shared before about sarcasm, is that I bring sarcasm into the equation way too early. Like I, I've um, had a lot of opportunities in my life to lead students and I, I show up with my woo and I want to be liked. And so I'm making all these sarcastic jokes. But I forget that like physically, I, I'm a very believable person. <laughs> when you see my face, you yeah. think she, she looks so I trust her. believable. Yeah. Yeah. And then I show up with my sarcasm and people, I consistently, I have this pattern of bringing the sarcasm way before people have a take on me. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. That's that you're literally describing me like people will. They're like, I don't know what is what's happening right now because I'll, I'm also very deadpan. So yeah. like, yeah, I'll I have deli- a hard time reading you. Yeah, I'll, del- I'll deliver something, and they're just like, "Does he hate me?" Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, "No, what? Uh, I just we're just having fun, right?" Yeah. And they're like, "Well, we're, I'm not having fun, <laughs> no, for sure." In your September's head, like, this is not fun. All by yourself, <laughs> you're having fun. Yeah. Any other patterns that you guys want on? I I think back when. Like when back when I was a, a young person, I was dating. I was routinely drawn to the same kind of unhealthy guy, mm. and by God's grace, I ended up with somebody who was like polar opposite. But truly, I say it was by God's grace because we just we didn't even date very long, and then we got married, and it's like, oh my gosh, I would could never have been wise enough to choose that person based on every other stereotype that of the guys that I was drawn to, or you know, when I was a a teen and a young adult. And I think that's pretty common. I think a lot of people can look at their romantic relationships, um, whether they're married or not today, um, and say, wow, there was a pattern here of, of a certain type of person that I was looking for to fill something in me. And, mm. you know, where did that come from? And Mine's less yeah. like a romantic relationship and more with like friendship. So like when we grew up, I moved around a lot. I was born in Oregon. We moved to Illinois. Then we moved to Oklahoma. Wow. Then we moved to Illinois. And then I went to Kentucky for college and then I moved to Florida after that. And then 
all through through there was doing like study abroads and we'd travel a lot. And so for me, my pattern is with friendship, I, um, almost intentionally withhold things that would make good friendship Mm. because I don't want to get too close to people. I've had those things removed from my life and I know Mm. how painful it is. So I intentionally stay distant and don't like to trust people. That's so interesting because I moved around a lot too. Yeah. And for me, I actually have, it's like the same occurrence in our family, in our history, but it shows up really differently for me. Mm. I'm actually... We had somebody marry into our family and he said, wow, you guys are too friendly, too fast. Mm. And that totally describes the way that I (laughs) respond to moving around a lot. I'm like, let's jump in because who knows how long we have. Too friendly, too fast. I wish that was my problem. But yeah, it's more of like you can can get to like the first or second layer of friendship. But that's as deep as we're going to go because let's Mm -hmm. be real. I'm going to be gone and I can't have you depending on me or me depending on you in any way. You see what's so fascinating about what the two of you just shared is you both had the same trigger. You had families where you moved around a lot and relationships were truncated because of your moves and you both had opposite responses. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's so common. Just because you had a certain circumstance occur to you does not mean you're going to have this automatic A to A response. It could be an A to B or A to C response. You see that often, I think, with siblings too. You know, like where two siblings who grew up in the same home with the same stimulus and the same triggers and the same parents have completely opposite responses as adults. They, they, their lives went different directions because of that. So it's not yeah. always just apples to apples. So I love that September challenged us to be kind and courageous. That's something we say a lot, be kind and be courageous. And it's interesting to talk about being kind to yourself. How do you, how do you guys feel when you hear that invitation, be kind? and courageous. Well, I'm fine telling you to be kind and courageous. Mm. I'm not as good at doing it myself. It is hard. Mm-hmm. It is hard. What's it, hard for you? For me, the courageous part is not as hard. It's not that I love conflict or I love having hard conversations. It's just that I hate wrinkles in relationships more than I dislike hard conversations. So the I, I can be pretty courageous about having a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard for me to cut myself slack when mm-hmm. I feel like I've harmed or hurt somebody or, you know, Casey and I were in a meeting um, a, a week and a half, two weeks ago, and I was on a tight schedule. I'm just going to share this example. I hope that's okay. Casey, I'm diving you right in here. And Bring it. I, Casey was leading the meeting and I interrupted constantly and overrode like I just kind of like was a bull in a china shop and then the meeting ended. And I'm like, okay, I have to go to the airport. <sighs> and then I, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like I, I was, I realized in the moment you could what see it I on had my done. Face. I could see it on your face and I knew it in my gut and I could not shut my stinking mouth. I could not stop in the moment to stop doing the very behavior I knew I was doing. Mm. And um, so we had a great conversation afterwards and then perhaps I had to email her several more times because I, it's hard for me to be kind to myself. Like she was so gracious and we both agreed, yeah, you were out of line September and she just cut me all the slack that you would ever want someone mm. to cut you and it still is hard for me to let it go. Yeah, we walk around with those things yeah. for days. Right. So I can tell you to be kind and courageous, but I also have a hard time. Yeah. I think for me it's... Uh, being kind and courageous is more about my actions with all this stuff and all this context. It's easy for me to be courageous. Like anybody who knows me is like, yeah, we never really wonder what Tyler's thinking. He just says it. <laughs> and a there's gift. very little filter, right? But being kind and saying things in a kind way, that's the adjustment that's very difficult for me is knowing how to say what I believe 
and also making sure that it's not going to completely offend everybody in the room to the point where they don't even listen to what my courageous statement is because they're so hurt by mm. what I've said. That's always my balance. And, and I'm not, I'm definitely have not perfected that. Mm. So it's hard for you to be kind to others sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, afterwards that's where being kind to myself, cause I, you know, retroactively I'm aware of it. It's just in the moment that I'm not. And so then I'll just beat myself up for a, a long time after it. So, gotcha. Yeah. We just need to be kinder to ourselves. We don't beat our friends up, no, but we do it to ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it's the it's the word and. Mm. I find myself in a moment I'm either kind or courageous. And for me, it's holding both at the same time, not being just kind or not, like you're saying, like bulldozing people with my courage, but it's holding both those things at the exact same time. That tension. Tension is always hard. And like these things feel very opposite to me, just my personality. I'm like, how can you do both? You either have to be courageous and not worry about feelings or you have to be kind and not say what you actually believe. Yeah. But actually saying what you believe sometimes is the most kind thing. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you say it in a way that doesn't make people carry it around for days. In our team, we often say that kindness without um, courage is cowardice. And courage without kindness is violence. You know, you really do need to hold both. You Mm. need to hold both. You can't have one without the other. It it doesn't really work. Wow. Thanks, friends. I'm going to go lay down on a couch. (laughs) (laughs) So as we are talking about relationships, it only feels fitting that you might want to explore this content with the people in your life. So we have some discussion questions for you to consider, whether it's by yourself or with those people. Here are four questions. One, how do you react when triggered? Are you an overreactor or an underreactor? How might this connect to your story? Two. What patterns do you see in how you handle conflict, the type of people you're drawn to, and how your relationships end? Three, what unmet needs from your upbringing are you carrying into your relationships today? How might you get them met in healthy ways? And four, how do you feel when you hear the invitation? Be kind and courageous. Thanks so much for joining us here in Relate as we explore how our past is present. For a recap of today's topic or to dive a little deeper, check out the show notes where you'll find helpful resources and discussion questions so you can continue the conversation with a friend or group. Make sure you join us next week as we ask, what does it look like when our past shows up in our relationships today? 